0: Welcome to The Crypto Podcast. You can find all our episodes on thecryptopodcast.org. We're also on BitChute and YouTube. And you'll find the links in the podcast description. I forward our podcasts, The Awakening to tell you what's going on in the world, Meditation to chill you out, Speaking Podcast to help you speak in public, and to learn Polish, which you might need to. But if you want to learn a new language, why not? You'll find them all on RoyCall.com. Today, my guest, please
1: welcome Brian mint Hi, Roy. A uh, Pleasure to be on your show today. Really excited to talk to you. Yeah, looking forward to this as well, because I've, uh, you know, reviewed
0: a few of the things that you're doing. So you might let the listeners know who's brain.
1: <laughs> well, um, I'll give you the, sh- the shotgun blast. Uh, I started in Bitcoin crypto industry whatever you want to call it for, there's a lot of terms for the industry I guess at this point uh, but I started with a pretty skeptical lens I mean my, my introduction to it was 2012 I was reintroduced to it in 2013 by a friend that said you know you need you need to take a serious look at this and so I I, I analyzed it really to try and kind of discredit and disprove <laughs> uh, the technology it just I, I think that's a lot of people's initial, outlook on on bitcoin and uh it's it's digital you know scam money it's it's a pyramid scheme something like that you you know I, those are i threw out all kind of the, the basic comments but through study through a real deep dive into that realm of the bitcoin blockchain um industry i came out on the other side really appreciating it for what it was um it prompted me to to do a deeper dive into macroeconomics, monetary, uh, monetary systems, monetary theory, and uh, that kind of just kind of perpetuated me into uh, investing. I think that's a lot of the, the the natural progression for most people is to step in and, and buy a little. Um, then you become maybe a little bit more freedom or liberty minded because you realize what the 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 liberty implications of a decentralized currency are, and uh, I realized. Through that that there's just a huge need for education in the space. Uh, so in 2018, I was hired as the chief marketing officer for a little blockchain project called Athenium blockchain and it was it is still focused on a decentralized education platform and I, I absolutely believe in that vision of the project, but I saw a huge need for educating specifically the fundamentals of Bitcoin and blockchain. And so in t- late 2021, I resigned from that post to write my book. It's called Bitcoin uh, Bitcoin Evangelism. And the point of the book is just to help people understand some of these kind of nebulous terms like blockchain or trustless or decentralized um, and to break them down in a really... Basic and easy to understand way, so that when somebody approaches you and says, "Why do you buy that Bitcoin stuff?" <laughs> it's your response isn't going to be just because I believe the price is going to go up someday. <laughs> that shouldn't be our response. There's a lot more to it than that, and uh, that's essentially my mission is to help educate people on this uh, this really this really incredible technology that has a lot of great potential to set humanity free in a lot of ways.
0: Excellent. Excellent. And uh, I'm always an early adapter. So for LinkedIn, Facebook, a load of these things, even Gmail, I have everything with my name where I call them that. Because and I remember, I don't know, was it 2014? I I was introduced to Bitcoin and I didn't get it. And I, I think it's a shame because obviously in 2014 it would have been a great time to get into it. But I kind of was hearing so much about it. I started, I got, because I'm an avid reader, I'd read about 100 a hundred books a year. And I, I had, I think it was the Kindle Unlimited. So I got a load of uh, electronic books on crypto. And to be honest, I was more baffled than anything. And I just never got into it. And like, because I love what you're actually doing because what, what I'd like today, it might sound strange for you, but I'd like that you could actually explain it to me as if I'm the eight year old child, my youngest son, Or my dad, who's 76, who don't get it. Because I think that's the kind of way we need to explain it, because there's so many people, they're talking about it. And I know for myself, how I got on board is somebody sat down with me and kind of showed me this is alleged, This is how you because it's hard kind of going out on your own. But you might, I suppose, if you don't mind, talk about it in a kind of more simple way for the masses.
1: Yeah. I mean, you're absolutely right. You need to be able to talk to a broad audience with this because, and, and, you know, sometimes the eight-year-olds, they're so technologically savvy that sometimes they get it. Um, I think especially things that we're going to probably get into like the metaverse and some of these, these really strange, uh, kind of adaptations of blockchain and, and digital technologies, they get that stuff right away. But some of the people that I had beta test my book were, uh, I specifically went to seniors, uh, people 65 and older that uh, I I figured would maybe one of the terms I use in the book are digital natives versus digital immigrants. Uh, Older, the older generation are digital immigrants. They they grew up in a world where (laughs) everything was analog, right? And so they saw the advent of cell phones, they saw the advent of the internet, they saw the advent of all these things. So they adopted those many of them, but people that were born after 2000, they're digital natives, they grew up in this. And so being able to explain the same thing to two different people, it sometimes takes a different explanation. And so uh, you have to kind of be ready to go one way or the other. Am I speaking to somebody that that was born into this stuff? Or am I speaking to somebody that's still trying to figure out how to log into their Netflix account? Um, and so what I would say for things, the the first the first thing I would talk to them about is because most people have heard that that term blockchain. Uh, blockchain's the kind of the sexiest term out right now. Businesses are trying to somehow find a way to integrate a blockchain, and a lot of times that doesn't even make sense what they're trying to say. But I would tell somebody if you want to understand what a blockchain is, you don't need to understand all the technical jargon that goes with it. You don't need to understand computer programming. What makes a blockchain so revolutionary? is that for the first time ever, two people could interact digitally with no middleman. All a blockchain is, it's a computer algorithm. It's a, you could say it's a very complicated one, but in its simplest form, it's a computer algorithm that allows you on the other side of the world to interact with me with no middleman. Most people don't understand that say, for example, on a financial transaction, if I want to send you money, do you have uh, Venmo where you're at? I, I don't, but I've heard of, Venmo. Don't. It's You've like, heard of Venmo. It's like
0: Revolut is one of the ones that's kind of used yes. in, in a lot of
1: countries. Revolut's more international. So here in the United States, everybody uses not everybody. Many people use Venmo. Uh, it's a popular payment app. Well, if I were to if I were to Venmo or use Revolut to send you money. It's not a two party transaction. Bitcoin, if I were to send you Bitcoin across the world, it's literally a two party transaction. It's you and it's me. If I were to send you a Revolut payment, it would be a five party transaction. And what I mean by that is it would be me initiating the payment. And then it would be my bank. So I use Wells Fargo, it's a popular bank here in the United States. Wells Fargo would then send that to Revolut. And Revolut, this actually might even be a six party transaction. Revolut. Would use some sort of international wire transfer to transfer that from their state side banks to their European side banks. And then that's called a Nostro Vostro account. <laughs> it's a really kind of uh, funny sounding term, but it's just this international banking term. And uh, then what they would do is they would send that to your bank and then that would finally get to you. So instead of me directly sending you money, we're going through five or six parties, every one of them is going to take some sort of cut along the way. So there's fees involved with that. And uh, I don't know how much you've been paying attention to things that have been happening in Canada and some of these international shutdowns. Banks and or governments can get involved in that transaction and shut it down at any time. So I'll go back to my my original statement is what a blockchain does is it pairs two people through a digital platform, but there's no middleman. So it's literally kind of this mindless algorithm that's just there to process transactions. When person A wants to send money to person B, it doesn't know who you are. It doesn't know why you're doing it. It has no bias. It has no discrimination. It's just, it knows that its job is to send money from point A to point B and that's it. So that's what a blockchain is. And that's in a nutshell, that's how we like to break down a lot of these terms, kind of within within cryptocurrency, but I think the most fundamental and foundational is to understand the blockchain first.
0: And like, where it could be an advantage as well is the value if you're sending a larger amount. Because I, I like I've dealt with a lot of different uh, currency exchange. I even had a company doing currency exchange at one stage, and I, I, I really like the the Revolut model because it's what, uh, yeah, you're right. Because I have to transfer it from my bank into my Revolut account. But it's instant. So if I send it to you, it's actually instant, which most of them aren't. I mean, I, I've had times when I was doing currency exchange for properties years ago, it could go two weeks. It goes into the ether for two weeks. Like it leaves yeah. my bank account in Ireland and doesn't arrive for two weeks into Boland. And it's like, and with the revolution, But what I found is when you're sending larger amounts, you have to go through a lot of red tape and a lot of regulation, which can, you know, there was one stage there it was like three weeks that they held up the thing. We had made a sale, a big sale. And it took a lot of time to actually get it cleared, which was annoying. Yeah. but for short small amounts, me to you I send it now you get it in five minutes, which is great. but with the crypto, you don't have that problem
1: correct right. and the in terms of sending large amounts, there was a something I cite in the book is kind of a, a little bit of analysis on this in I think it was December of 2021 there was a 1 billion and this is kind of an interesting thing about the Bitcoin blockchain is you can kind of go and see these transactions happening. You don't know really who's sending it to who, but you can see these massive transactions happening. There was a $1 billion transaction. It might've been somebody just transferring money from one of their wallets to one of their other wallets, or it was probably in all reality an exchange doing something with their funds, but it was a $1 billion transfer in US dollars uh, in the form of Bitcoin. And the Transaction cost was $1.75. Now, I have a a chain of businesses. Our merchant services fee is about 3%. So if somebody were to come in and swipe their card for a $100 transaction, the the fee would be $3 plus 30 cents. So it would actually be $3.30. So the the fee on a $100 transaction for me and my business is about twice as big as a $1 billion transaction on the Bitcoin blockchain. Um, so for sending large amounts, uh, it's 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 actually pretty it's pretty amazing what you can do with value transfer internationally and around the world and, and very quickly. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So I'm fresh out of one billion, but I also know on the opposite <laughs> end of this <laughs> opposite end of the scale, when you're sending like small amounts like $10 or $5, it can be a kind of high percentage. It can be fairly it's not justified in our system.
1: Yeah, you're right. And uh, are you familiar with? Have you heard of the Bitcoin Lightning Network? Excuse me, Lightning Network. Have you heard of that? I've
0: just heard of it, but I don't know nothing about it.
1: Okay, so it's a it's a really interesting kind of second layer. They refer to it as a second layer solution, second layer solution. So if the Bitcoin protocol is your foundational protocol for sending value, the Lightning Net- Network is a lighter, faster. Second layer, um, it's almost kind of works like bar tabs. So when you go to the bar, you go and buy a few beers, you buy, you know, a round for your friends, you get all these transactions. And at the end of the night, you batch all of the, those transactions into one payment. So at the end of the night, your bar tab, you know, is $150 US and you pay that, and it's one transaction, even though you had many, many interactions with the barkeeper uh, throughout the night. And that's kind of what the Bitcoin Lightning Network does. It reduces fees, and it speeds up these transactions tremendously. Because even with Bitcoin, you could have you know a 10-minute transaction, a 20-minute transaction. Uh, sometimes Bitcoin, the base layer, can be slowed down. So the Lightning Network, it's instant, it's basically free so it's even cheaper than the Bitcoin the the main ledger and it's just fractions of, of, of you know a percent in terms of sending these transactions because everything's being batched they're doing things in a much more efficient model so it, yeah and that's a that's a protocol that's being built out it's uh, I, I don't know how familiar you familiar you are with El Salvador and them adopting Bitcoin. Uh, they are on the lightning standard at this point. So all of their kind of merchant transactions are being run through the lightning network and then being batched out on the base Bitcoin protocol. And because, I mean, we know
0: that with Bitcoin in Nagasaki created, well, whoever it is, I always like to know your thoughts on that as well. but. <laughs>
1: Who's created this light version? So it's a it's a, another decentralized group. I, for example, I run a Bitcoin lightning node. I make tiny fractions of percentage. So it's, it's a way to you can accrue a little t- little tiny bits of bit of Bitcoin for doing it. It's not really a huge money maker. It's really for people that want the network to be built and to thrive. So, out of my house, I, and it's not like Bitcoin mining. You might have heard if you want to mine Bitcoin, you need these big, huge, expensive machines, and they're and they put off all this heat and they're energy intensive. With the Bitcoin Lightning Network, you just buy this little thing called a Raspberry Pi. I don't know, I don't know how familiar you <laughs> are with these can, little can tiny. You ease us, can you? Can yeah, you? You know what? You, you might be able to. It's pretty small. Um, but it's it's this tiny computer, and I have it just up in my upstairs loft, and it processes transactions for people all over the world. And uh, I don't do it to make money. I do it to uh, aid the network. And so it, there's there's a team of developers, hundreds of developers. It's called the Lightning Labs team. But even Jack Dorsey, he has uh, his new company or not his new company, but but Block, what was formerly Square, was a payments company in the in the United States. He has a whole team devoted to building out the the Bitcoin Lightning Network. It's one of those things where there's groups all over the place. And it's kind of what's cool about this is that a lot of them don't even know who each other are. They're just building a common purpose. And it's because it's decentralized. It can work that way. So, yeah, it's it's pretty fascinating. And it's really, I think, the solution for sending those small payments. I think it's going to be the difference between being able to buy a cup of coffee or a cup of tea with Bitcoin versus, you know, only being able to send $1 billion transactions, which I don't think many of us can do.
0: <laughs> no, yeah, no, definitely. And like with the, with the electricity usage, because I remember, I don't know, was it was in 2017, they were saying there was enough electricity usage to run all the power in Ireland. And I think it's massive now, a lot bigger. I mean, mm. is that a bad thing?
1: So there, there's a few different arguments in that regard, is that the Bitcoin, the power being used for the Bitcoin network, some people say, well, hey, it's it's a worthy cause because we're securing the world's finances. Um, and it's it's a security measure and it's a worthwhile cause. I actually think that that kind of gets a little over aggrandized. One of the things I actually cover this in a little bit of depth in my book is uh energy consumption seems to be one of the, 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 the chief, uh, accusations made against Bitcoin by the ESG movement, the environmental social governance movement, people looking to protect the environment. I think most of us want to protect the environment. I don't think anybody's out to harm (laughs) the environment, but it, it seems to be kind of almost politically aimed to disrupt Bitcoin as a, as a currency or as a store of value. And, uh, a lot of the comparisons you hear are, oh, Bitcoin uses the the amount of electricity that a, that a country uses. And when you look into what country they're talking about, and you, you mentioned Ireland, a lot of cases, I don't, What what is the population of Ireland, by the way?
0: It's nearly 5 million.
1: Yeah, so they, they're usually referring to countries the size of Ireland or El Salvador, in the five to 6 million population range. And uh, while that's a lot of people, in, in the terms of the United States, it's about what we use on our Christmas lights just in the month of December in the United States. So it's relatively small compared to the amount of electrical output that we use for things that are kind of these, you know, fun things that we don't that don't really provide any tremendous value to humanity. So I think that while well, I love Christmas, I'm a, I'm a big Christmas guy, I have Christmas lights myself. Christmas lights are maybe a worthy cause for most people. I love Christmas lights. I put Christmas lights on my house, but I think the uh, the the principle of providing a a free, decentralized, immutable ledger for the whole world to store value on, I think, is a much loftier idea. Than Americans using Christmas lights for one month of the year. So, yes, it's all relative. The countries that you're hearing, you know, Bitcoin uses as much electricity as a country, as, a, as an entire country. It's never going to be a country like China. It's never going to be a country like the United States, these, these massive countries that use massive amounts of power. Again, one of the things that, that I also cover in Bitcoin evangelism is when you compare the amount of electricity used. By Bitcoin compared to just the traditional banking system. So you're talking about ATMs, you're talking about the buildings, you're talking about all of that. It's it's a fraction of what is used just by the air conditioning <laughs> in the banking buildings and things like that. So it's all relative. And, and I think that's how a lot of these things kind of get framed is uh, what's, what's the worst way to state something and make it sound the most grand or the most uh, like, like it's the biggest problem because of that. Um, it is relative. And so one of our, our well-known senators in the United States, her name's Elizabeth Warren. She's a pretty, pretty, pretty staunch antagonist of Bitcoin she likes to say that well if bitcoin is using x amount of energy right now in 10 years if it's 10 times bigger it's going to be using you know 10 times more electricity bitcoin doesn't scale that way bitcoin can use more electricity but that doesn't mean if there's more transactions if there's 10 million more transactions on the bitcoin protocol tomorrow it doesn't mean that the energy usage goes up Um, and it's that that gets into a little bit more complicated topic right there. But the energy used by the Bitcoin network is only to secure it. It's it's actually, it doesn't take a lot of transactions. If you wanted to process all the transactions on the Bitcoin network, you could do it with just a few computers. Sorry, my my audio is a little weird. Um, you could process all the transactions on the Bitcoin network with just a few computers. The reason why there's so many computers mining Bitcoin and and Doing all this stuff that's, you know, consuming all this electricity, it's to secure the network. The Bitcoin network, the Bitcoin protocol, is the most secure computer network in the history of the world. It's more secure than any, uh, you know, any kind of clandestine organization around the world. It, you know, stateside, we have the S, the FBI and the CIA. Those are kind of our top secret agencies that have all the secrets and, and that kind of stuff. They don't have as robust of a security. As the Bitcoin blockchain has, because of its decentralized nature and because of how much power it uses, it consumes so much power. Because in order to essentially hack the Bitcoin network, you would have to have more power than all of the power that is on the Bitcoin network right now. So that's what you know. So you can kind of reverse that argument and you can make it sound really positive. You could say, in order to hack the bitcoin network network you would need more power than in, than an entire country in order to hack the network which sounds pretty uh it doesn't sound feasible um in order to hack the network so we could turn a you know something that sounds negative oh it uses so much electricity well then we could turn it into positive it would take and cost so much electricity in order to rob people of their bitcoin yeah no no it makes sense and just
0: on you know for those because i just mentioned it because it's what i'm hearing but i know that because we've had uh the like the the founder of greenpeace on our show and everything and, and i've also done research myself and you know we're hearing a lot of things about the polar caps mel- melting and yeah. I, you know the polar bears dying and it's all a lie there's so much lies out there and we just have to be conscious of that as well that sometimes the people that are kind of putting fear into us you know they're trying to create something you know that it's actually the opposite of what's really happening and i i think the beauty of what's actually happened in the last few years another plan from my experience is that loads of people realize that the value of living at home instead of traveling for hours and being in a big, huge building, which in turn will mean there won't be a demand for these buildings. So in reality, the energy usage around the world should drop dramatically.
1: I think I think you're absolutely right. I think that's totally true. And uh, for anybody that that's that is interested in sustainable energy, solar energy, and and wind farms and things like that, I would even make the argument that Bitcoin is actually going to be the key to renewable energy. And I don't know if you're familiar with this argument, but last year in 2021, in the winter in Texas, so the biggest state in our country, we had a total blackout in huge parts of the country or in huge parts of the state because most of Texas is run on solar power and wind power. And so that's one of the shortcomings of these renewable energies is that uh, when there's no sun, you don't have power. <laughs> or in this case, all of the wind, the, the windmills, they froze over, they weren't rated for that type of severe cold in Texas. Texas usually doesn't get that cold. Well, last winter it did. And so everybody lost their power. People were actually dying, they were freezing to death. Older people were freezing to death in their homes because they didn't have any, any heat, they didn't have any electricity. It was actually a really really sad and, and kind of traumatic story. But what we're seeing this year is Texas is adopting Bitcoin on a massive scale in order to build out their grids. And so what I mean by that to build out their solar and actually specifically their wind power grids. One of the reasons why you would, when you're building say a, uh, a solar farm to power your city, it's, it's usually not very economically feasible because again, there's the sun only shines so much. There's really inconsistencies in the weather and you don't Get to store a lot of the energy, or basically much of the energy at all that you create if you have abundance. And so, what do you do with abundant energy? Is you you waste it. Um, and so, it's 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 actually very costly to build these things out. And so, a city is usually going to underbuild their solar farms. And if they have any kind of increased demand for, for utilities, say it's, they have a heat wave and so everybody's turning on their air conditioning units, a lot of times you get blackouts and so people don't have enough power. Cities are usually underbuilding their solar farms. Well, what you can do and what in Texas, what they're doing is they're overbuilding their solar farms, they're overbuilding their wind farms, and it makes economic sense because anytime they have excess power they use that power that totally green power to mine bitcoin and they can make money from their excess power and if there's a spike in demand say a cold wave or a heat wave or anything like that then what they can do is they can shut off their bitcoin miners and they can use all of that excess energy to provide heat and 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 utilities for their people and it makes economic sense and so I like to call myself, myself a bleeding heart capitalist. I love capitalism. I think it solves a lot of our, you know, a free market solve a lot of our problems, but I also think that we need to have a tinge of humanity in the way that we do it. And so I think I love these types of solutions, finding green energy initiatives that make economic sense. Because a lot of the ones that we're seeing, a lot of green initiatives that we see, they don't make economic sense. And they actually, a lot of times hurt people. So, I think this is a great middle ground, it's a great compromise, and it's a really positive solution for a lot of people.
0: Well, I'm hoping, because I've seen the technology now that they can put it into windows and everything, but I, I've heard that you can't recycle these uh, solar panels, and also the wind turbines I've seen where they actually had to bury them. And I'm looking at this going, what? You know, this But yeah, like what you've just said, using the energy like that, that makes sense. I mean, that's... Yeah, uh,
1: yeah. yeah well everything has a cost right uh all all the uh, lithium we mine for these batteries and things like that that's all that's all a pollutant too and we're using fossil fuels to mine those things all you know it's everything costs yeah exactly yeah just i don't think there's anything that we can say is actually perfect yeah so with uh, the wallets and the exchanges then what? which ones do you actually recommend so for onboarding i think a lot of the people that i know they they went with just the easiest to use platform here stateside is Coinbase. I don't know, do you guys have Coinbase where you're yeah. from? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I know they're they're a pretty large company. They're kind of more expensive on the fees. It's it's a good place to start for people. It's very user-friendly. It's it's a it's a simple way to I tell people all the time, buy $10 worth of Bitcoin, buy $50 worth of Bitcoin, just get in the game, then don't do anything else and just sit on it. Because what that does is it causes you to actually pay attention to the market. All of a sudden, now you're you're paying attention to the price, which uh, to me is one of the the least exciting things about it. It it is fun to obviously want the price to go up, but I think the technology behind it is the more exciting part. And I think that the longer people hold on to that, uh, they start to pay attention to the fundamentals and they start to, to learn, they start to ask questions, they start to study economics and they start to, to kind of discover what type of monetary systems we have. And they realize that every monetary system around the world is a is based on a fiat currency, which is backed by nothing. And and our banking systems are fractional reserve banking. And I don't know if are you familiar with the term fractional reserve banking? Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's right up your alley. Um <laughs> I mean that's a scary you kind of all of a sudden it's it's like the cartoons where the coyote runs off the cliff. And you look down and you're like, wow, I'm, I'm standing over nothing. And so that's what prompts people to really say, okay, now I'm, I'm not buying Bitcoin because I want the price to go up. I'm buying Bitcoin because it's kind of one of the only hard money assets out there. And I love gold and I love silver. I love precious metals. But I would say that Bitcoin is more gold than gold. And I, like I said, I love gold. But in the In the recent history in the last 50 years of humanity we've seen that anytime analog goes up against digital digital always wins and so while i think there's going to be a place for gold in our future um, i think that that bitcoin is the digital version of it and so i think it's going to have more real world applications going forward and those are the types of kind of aha moments i think that people have once they've bought their first $50 $50 worth of Bitcoin. And they're in the game. They've got a little skin in the game. And now they start to make those realizations. And now it opens up their eyes to all sorts of other things. And I think just the cross section between what's happened in the last few years around the world and the convergence of things that have been happening around the world with these, these new technologies that are providing avenues for people to kind of resist, um, resist some of the corruption that we're seeing, resist some of the the tyranny in in parts of the world. Um, it's it's really interesting, and the timing is is a really cool coincidence to see. Maybe it's not a coincidence at all. I don't know. Maybe it's destiny. But it is it is really cool to see that all converging at the same time. Yeah, I think for, yeah. In
0: the last few years, people have realized they've got a printing press, and they just press a button, and then, yeah, your your values go down. And
1: yeah. yeah, yeah. And with the cold wallet, then do you uh, any cold wallet you'd recommend? Yeah, so um, I I personally use a Ledger, a Ledger Nano X and a Ledger Nano S. I, I bought a bunch of them, and I I have all sorts of security measures to to make sure that that they're safe. I know Treasure is a, is a pretty popular cold storage wallet. I tell people all the time, hey, you buy it on an exchange, that's fine. Get in the game. You can leave it on the you know if you have a small amount and I know this is kind of against crypto principles and I love crypto principles, you know, but go ahead, don't worry about it. Leave it on the exchange when you have $10 of Bitcoin um, or when you have 10 euros of Bitcoin, that's fine. Leave it on the exchange. But once you start to get a material amount of money uh, saved, a material amount of value saved, you need to put it in a cold wallet and you need to custody yourself and you need to put some security measures in place to make sure that you don't have any, user error that you don't get hacked that your that your child doesn't throw it in the trash can (laughs) and it's gone forever Uh, i'm sure you've heard there's all sorts of stories of of people that have thrown away computers and hard drives that had bitcoin stored on it had you know hundreds of millions based on today's value of bitcoin thrown away so you don't want to be one of those stories but it's actually really easy to to custody your own money it's really easy to be self-sovereign over your own money. And that's kind of a new concept for a lot of us. Um, and it feels a little foreign and it feels a little, a little uncomfortable, but I would tell people it's the juice is worth the squeeze. <laughs> it absolutely is worth it to, uh, to, to, to start to learn this. Cause I would say start to learn it now because the pressure's not on to, to put all of your money in it right now. The pressure is on, I think, for most people to start to learn about it. This is the learning phase. Get comfortable with learning about this stuff. You don't have to sell your house, put all of that money into Bitcoin and then put it in a cold wallet. <laughs> you take a little bit of money and you, you practice with that.
0: With the cold wallet, if your child did throw it down the toilet and flushed it or into the bin or something like that, once you've got the, the password, the retrieval, you can actually get it all back. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So the hardware device itself, it looks like a flash drive. and it. The way we think about flash drives is, oh, I've saved my my file or my crypto or whatever it is on that flash drive. That's how we think about it, but it's not that. All you're saving is essentially your password on this hard drive. If the hard drive gets destroyed, yes, exactly like you said, you can have your password stored on paper. Um, I I, I watched one of your episodes with uh, one of your previous guests, I think Bush, I think was his last name. And he, yeah, the way he described it was, was great. I would recommend anybody to go go back and watch that episode. And he talks about, you know, good ways to store that. Um, Just, yeah, I think he said his, his son had spilled water on his computer at one point, um, but he uh, that didn't seem to hurt his crypto holdings by any chance. And like, for those that don't know
0: because i use the ledger as well you've got the two buttons so you basically you know you do your password with kind of a plus and minus with the numbers and then double press when you confirm yes but it's i mean if you're doing a lot of transactions it's do you always have to be using that device
1: constantly no i it it's kind of like the way i would look at it is like your your checking account and your savings account um your checking account's going to be your daily transactions your savings accounts where you're going to put stuff and you kind of don't want to touch it (laughs) i know i have a a few employees of mine that they they treat their savings account like it's a checking account and i said (laughs) we were talking about finances and they they make it they made it too easy to, to access that money sometimes you want that money to be a little bit hard to access and so just like i carry cash on me i'll carry cash in my wallet That cash that's on me, yes, it's kind of vulnerable. Somebody could walk up to me when I'm on the street or I'm going to the bank or something like that, they could take that cash. I hope they don't, and I'm going to try and make sure that they don't. But that's the same with crypto. It's the same with your Bitcoin. You can have a wallet that's a hot wallet. Hot wallet just just means that it's online. Cold wallet just means that it's offline. Your savings should be in a cold wallet. Your checking account or what you want to spend could be in a hot wallet. That's perfectly fine. The hot, the hot wallet, it might be on an exchange, it might be just a one that's connected to your computer, it might be an app in your phone, but I would keep, you know, just enough for your spending money on there and keep your big money in a cold wallet. Pretty. Pretty easy, and it's it's some of some. This is one of those things where in crypto we think we're kind of reinventing the wheel, but sometimes we just take things we used to do in the old way, and we just apply it to the new way. Yeah, no, perfect. Yeah, I love that. So you might just give us a,
0: a quick synopsis of your book and what you're covering on it.
1: Oh well, yeah. So it's it's meant to be a beginner's guide. I, I don't know how many uh, bull markets you've been through with with Bitcoin and cryptocurrency, but when the price goes up. I know that I start to get messages from people all over the place, people that I knew in high school, people that I haven't seen in 10 years, people that I, I've met one time, people that told me that they, they heard that I was the Bitcoin guy from one of their friends. And I mean, this was before I even worked in the industry. People will just hear that you know something about Bitcoin and then their friend will tell them to ask you about it. And that's, that's a common thing. I mean, if you if you've told anybody you have Bitcoin, this is going to happen to you. So the next time Bitcoin goes up to, you know, $70,000, you're going to start getting text messages text messages, and, and, and phone calls. Hey, tell me about this Bitcoin stuff. Most people have a hard time explaining what Bitcoin is. They don't know what a blockchain is. They don't know what mining is. They don't know what all the things you just explained. They don't know what a hot wallet is, a cold wallet. They don't know what a, a ledger is. And that all sounds really complicated, The best place to start would be with a book like this. I mean, this is literally meant to be a resource that you could say, oh, my uncle just asked me about this Bitcoin stuff. Well, you know what? I I don't know if I can explain it all to him. I'm going to buy him a copy of Bitcoin Evangelism because I'm going to take him from a 101 understanding of it. Here's the fundamentals. Here's the basics. And I'm going to, we're going to go through macroeconomics. We're going to go through some of the technical stuff, but we're going to break it down in a really easy to understand way so that you can come out of the other side of it. And you could have a, you could walk into the boardroom of a cryptocurrency company and have a a meaningful conversation with the executive team of that, that cryptocurrency company, because you understand the terms, you speak the language and it's, it's not that hard. I'm not a very smart guy. You can probably tell by this interview already. I'm not that smart. But these concepts, they can sound really smart. Um it's like finance. I don't know if you've ever talked to anybody that's in finance. They use these terms that uh, you know like a uh, um, subprime mortgages and you know blah 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 and this account and nostro vostro like we talked about earlier all this stuff means they have really basic, easy to understand meanings, but they make these new terms up in order to make them sound more complicated. And so sometimes we like to do that in cryptocurrency. We like to talk about, you know, things in a kind of abstract way. Well, Bitcoin evangelism, it's a a really simple way to break it down. And so, like I said, we go through the fundamentals of Bitcoin and blockchain. We go through uh, the fractional reserve banking system. We go through fiat currencies, what that means. I have a chapter in there um that addresses some of the cultural divides i knew i know in the in the united states we have some pretty significant cultural divides between our conservative people and our our more liberal people and from what i understand that's a pretty common theme kind of around the world there seems to be a lot of cultural divides and i would say that a lot of these cultural divides are being driven by monetary policy by unfair monetary systems. I think that's the core of it. I mean, it's not that shocking to think that you know, people say that money is the root of all evil. <laughs> uh, I think you, your, your Awakening podcast, you seem to uh, explore a lot of the corruption and, and things that happen uh, in a lot of different industries. Well, I mean, it's not that shocking to think that the one industry that deals with something that we call the root of all evil is like the most corrupt industry of all of them. Um, I mean, it's what's financing the pharmacy companies. It's what's financing the news organizations. It's what's financing all these different things. And so to recognize that that's a a pretty problematic system, I think it's what's driving a lot of the divides that we're seeing right now. And so I have a, a chapter in the book that's called... Uh, why both the capitalists and the communists will be satisfied with Bitcoin. Um, and uh, it's because I think that this speaks to people on both sides of the political ideology or the, the fiscal ideology, because um, I think at the end of the day, most people, they want financial inclusion. Most people want equality. Most people want a level playing field. Um, but for some reason, we're kind of battling against one another on a bunch of these other petty issues, and some of them are big issues. I don't mean to to belittle some of the issues, but we 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 tend to uh, to, to to shoot arrows at the other side. But I think there's a lot with Bitcoin and cryptocurrency, decentralized finance, and some of these these things within crypto that can bring us together. And so I'm really excited about that yeah beautiful yeah
0: i love i love love that so uh you might and and just on that actually i wish i had written written uh, read your book before it was read obviously in the time when i was reading stuff because to be honest with you there's a lot of crap out there. and i've just recently uh read an nft book and because i could see i i missed the ethereum board i missed the 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 bitcoin board because they were both handed to me at a very early stage and i said next time i'm not going to do that so i i'm creating NFTs because I've got access to you know the right people. And I, I want to totally understand. And I've read a book that's just brilliant. And just by listening to you, the way that you're explaining something, that's the way you're able to digest it, understand the reasoning behind it instead of just using terminology that just flies over your head. So I, I just know, and I've listened to other interviews that you've done as well. I just know by the, the way that you do it, that the book will be good. So I'll encourage people that, if you're, if you're on a beginner's journey, definitely to check it out. So you might let people know where they can find the book and where they can get in contact with you.
1: Yeah, thank you for the opportunity to share that. I, I really appreciate it. So the book is out next month. It's gonna be out in May. And if anybody goes to freshlymintedbooks.com, you register, you just put your email address in there. You just type it in one time. That registers you for the first edition. Now, the first edition, this is kind of exciting. This is one of the cool things that we can do with Bitcoin. I've actually encrypted, I've embedded a Bitcoin wallet. It currently has $1,000 worth of Bitcoin in the wallet. The first edition of the book, it has a 24 word seed phrase hidden somewhere in the book and whoever discovers that 24 word seed phrase first they go they can uh, they can download a bitcoin wallet they can put that 24 seed 24 uh, word seed phrase in and they win the the $1000 worth of bitcoin um so again if you want to do that if you want to buy the first edition of the book it's called or the website is freshly minted books dot com and you just put your email in that'll register you for the first edition and then we'll let you know uh once the book is for sale and we can get it to you and you can uh yeah you can maybe you don't even have to buy your first bitcoin maybe you can just get a thousand dollars worth of bitcoin uh just by by finding it in the book so yeah
0: very creative marketing idea i I love it and i hope
1: it uh, leads to loads of sales for you so thoroughly enjoyed our conversation yeah Thank you, Roy. I really appreciate it. I hope we can chat again sometime. No, definitely. That's all for the Crypto Podcast. You can find all our episodes on thecryptopodcast.org. As mentioned, we're on
0: YouTube. Be sure to subscribe, give us a thumbs up, five-star review. Really helps. Until next week, take care.